listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with me this hour. Did you have a nice family day weekend? Did you enjoy Dalton McGinty Day yesterday? Did you say thank you, Dalton? Did you? You should have. Because, of course, it was Dalton McGinty brought in family day. So I've been away for a couple of days, and let me just recap. Uh, I come back to find that rule of law has not returned to the nation. But what has returned to the province is Queen's Park. Whoa, yeah, my favorite show back on, question period. Doug Ford, anything to say, Doug? Minister Lecce is laser-focused on getting a deal. Minister Lecce is laser-focused in making sure kids stay in the classroom. That is the minister, I'm sorry, pardon me, that is the premier, responding to the first question this morning about, why don't you fire Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education? No, because he's laser-focused. He's focused like a laser. Mark, I am focused on this like a laser. Like a laser. Focused. Andrea Horvath, would he rejoin her? I would submit that the laser is broken, and so is the operator of that laser. (laughs) Hey, yeah. Entertainment. Political entertainment here in the province. We have a lot to talk about over this next hour, but let's begin with what's happening in this province. Doug Ford? The Ontario Miracle. Miracle? The Ontario what? The Ontario Miracle. Miracle? Miracle. Miracle? I'm going to talk more about that. Travis Danrej is going to join me later on the show. What's going on there at uh, Queen's Park? We got a protest on the lawn again. Uh, Children or parents of children with autism protesting. We're going to talk about this whole license plate issue. What is going on with that? You will not believe. You will not believe what was said in the House today when the minister was asked... What about these license plates where people say they can't see these new license plates brought here in the, the province of Ontario? Guess who she blamed? You're just not going to believe it. That is coming up. we got all of that coming up, plus an interview, a future interview with Phil Verster, the CEO of Metrolinx, explaining why the Eglinton Crosstown is once again delayed. Why can we not build transit in this province? What is? Are we living in a banana republic? That's the other thing. I come back from a foreign nation, I get back to Canada, and I think, why can't we build infrastructure here? We're going to get into that a little later on in the program, plus plus an update on COVID-19 and the latest on those passengers on the Diamond cruise ship who are going to be airlifted back to Canada. But we want to begin with the big story of the day, Canada at a crossroads. This nation is facing a crisis, folks. What is going to be done about the rail blockades and the protests that have sprung up? And I expect more to spring up today. We have some reports coming in from British Columbia that protesters showed up at the B.C. Premier's house and tried to, quote-unquote, arrest him. Like, that's a thing you can do. Or maybe you can do it. Because it seems, in this nation, we have come to a point where an individual's right to protest supersedes the collective good, the collective will, and... The fact that you don't even have a constituency, you don't have to be elected, you don't have to represent anybody, all you need is a flag and a tent and bang, shut it down. And what's the government doing about it? 
Well, Justin Trudeau spoke about it in the House this morning. And here is some truth from the Prime Minister. We are at a pivotal moment, not only for this nation, but for this Prime Minister and for his government. On all sides, people are upset and frustrated. I get it. It's understandable. Because this is about things that matter. Rights and livelihoods, the rule of law, and our democracy. It's about things. It's about this. It's about being together. It's about hugs. Andrew Shear, Andrew Shear, anything you got to say here about Justin Trudeau's heartfelt virtue signaling? That was the weakest response to a national crisis in Canadian. That is Andrew Scheer responding to the Prime Minister's statement in the House this morning about the ongoing blockades that have sprung up around the country. Now, here is the central offer from Justin Trudeau to the elders of the Wet'suwet'en, pardon me, nation, not elected, but the ones that have been carrying out the protest. Here is the central offer from the Prime Minister. I have committed to the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs that the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations will meet with them any time. And I hope that the offer will be accepted. This is our opportunity now to bring these perspectives together. Because, Mr. Speaker, what is the alternative? Do we want to become a country of irreconcilable differences? Where people talk but refuse to listen? Where politicians are ordering police to arrest people? A country where people think they can tamper with rail lines and endanger lives? This is simply unacceptable. We cannot solve these problems on the margins. That is not the way forward. I know that people's patience is running short. We need to find a solution, and we need to find it now. That is Justin Trudeau speaking in the House of Commons earlier this morning. There will be a debate on this later today. Expect more developments, and of course, keep it here with Global News Radio throughout the course of the day as we keep you up to date with what's going on. But what do you make of that? There is an offer. We'll talk to you. This is... That is the action plan? That's the plan we have? Hey, we're right over here. Anytime you want to talk. What? How possibly are we going to solve this? I mean, the Prime Minister is not wrong when he says, you can't just order the cops in there to go bust heads. You want to just, what, what do you, that's what you want to do? You want national newscasts to lead with coverage of protesters being hauled away? You know what's going to happen the day after? 20 more blockades. And it doesn't matter whether or not the protesters actually represent anybody because we are at a crisis. We are at a turning point. And much of this has been the making of the Trudeau government. But to find out a perspective on what's going on or what has been going on east of Belleville, I am pleased to welcome back to the program Global News reporter Morgan Campbell, who spent some time out there last week talking to the protesters. And Morgan... Give me a sense of, you know, your understanding of how amenable the protesters are to, you know, listening to ministers of the crown. You know, Helen, they've told me that they are willing to, you know, open those lines of communication. But their requests really are rather simple. 
And until those those are addressed, I mean, they want the RCMP out of out of off the territory um, out in BC. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Their their requests are simple. It seems well, to me that there, that that we've got like decades and decades of legitimate concerns and grievances. They are not going to be solved in time to be able to let the rails go through before grocery stores start to have bare shelves. Absolutely, but I think that um, they could, you know, they they want the RCMP. I mean, that has been the that's been the basis of this. Um, since since they took the rail, what, a week and a half ago. But they also want industry players here to look at other options for that pipeline. Um, and they, of course, want dialogue and meetings, which we just heard Trudeau say that he's that he's willing willing to do that. Uh, we know that Mark Miller was out there uh, in Tyndanaga territory on uh, Saturday chatting with folks out there. Um, but I get the sense after speaking with them, Alan, that until there's really something concrete and not just the offer of sitting around a table, um, they're not going anywhere. I spoke to an elder um, midweek last week. He told me he was willing to sit there at the rail line for 10 years. This is an elder. Um, this is somebody who is highly respected by the community sitting on the side of of, of uh, real real life. Well, when you're speaking of this elder, uh, and I'm I'm assuming that, that this elder is, is is this person elected by the community, because the point, of course, is in British Columbia, is that yes, we have elders protesting, but all of the elected indigenous. Uh, bands that are on the property that this pipeline is going through, they are all in support of it. Yes, and I think that elders reserve the right to to land on whatever side of an issue that they want and that they feel um, that they feel passionate about. I mean, they have years of experience and respect from within their own community. Now, with that being said, um, during a press conference in Ottawa today. Um, uh, Tyndanaga Chief uh, Don Don R. Miracle, uh, he's known as Ardon um, on the territory. He also um, addressed questions and really vocalized the desire to have um, to have these blockades um, taken down. They are also saying that after listening to that press conference that. Um, they think that they that the demonstrators have made their point. They think that the government and industry understand. Now, they also said, uh, the Grand Chief, uh, Shurzo Sudur-Simon, said uh, that uh, if, you, if you remove the blockades, it doesn't mean that you surrender anything. It means that you tell the government that you are going to show good faith, that we are going to remove them but also to keep in mind, federal government, if you do not show dialogue and respect with the hereditary chiefs, that they will be back. And maybe the next one lasts longer. Maybe it won't be the rails. Maybe it will be something larger. So they, they also are recognizing that their opportunity to demonstrate or protest is really the only weapon that they have to have their record, their their rights recognized. But to 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 hear that and to hear them say, well, look, we've made our point, and then maybe it's time that we you know we don't protest anymore. But I, do you get a sense that we are at a turning point where these where these blockades are going to come down because that indigenous leadership is saying, all right, maybe we've made our point. It could, um, but I also think that after being there um, to 
to be honest with you and, and rather candid, Alan, I think that um, in some parts of these camps, keep in mind there's two separate camps in Tyendinaga right now. One that um, was put up by uh, the Mohawks, uh, the Tyendinaga Mohawks, and the second one, which was started, from my understanding, after speaking to people on the ground, by Aquasasne First Nation. So you've got two different groups there that are, that are blocking the lines, um, and maybe they don't have the same the same the same message, a collective message, right? Um, I would speak with one protester who said, oh, you know, get the RCMP out of there and and we'll tear this down. And then another protester who would say, you know what, this is is much more than just, you know, a land claim dispute in the West. This is about, you know, uh, clean drinking water, access to proper utilities, you know, that, that, that the issues go a little deeper. So I think when you're out speaking with individual protesters, you kind of, the issues here appear to be um, multifaceted and, and, and um, are really up to the individual, um, I guess. I, I think that at least when you have, you know, the chiefs that are banding together, sending out the same message, that is, is, is a concise message on it. Morgan Campbell, I think you've just sort of made my point for me about uh, individual right to, to protest has now superseded law and order and the rule of law. Morgan Campbell is a Global News reporter and is working on the story for us tonight for Global News at 5.30 and 6. Thanks, Morgan. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, considering what's happening in this nation, Doug Ford? The Ontario Miracle. Is that really happening? Is it the Ontario Miracle? Is that happening? Welcome back. What is it with building infrastructure and transit in this province? Why is it never simple? Obviously, it is very complicated. But why can we not seem to get it right? Meanwhile, you know, the Union Station revitalization seems like it will never end. Young and Eglinton continues to be an absolute dystopia. Entire Eglinton, the stretch of Eglinton, is a disaster. And has been for years. And the reason that we put up with it all is because we were promised new, shiny, effective transit. And now news that the Eglinton Crosstown LRT will not open until some unknown time in 2022, months later than the original, or the current rather, 2021 September deadline. Phil Verster is the CEO and president of Metrolinx. Phil, thanks so very much for joining me. Um, thanks for having me, Alan. So, when will the Crosstown LRT open on Eglinton? Well, Alan, uh, we've spent uh, since October, November last year till, till January, late January, to work with Crosslinks, who's building Eglinton, to finalize their schedule. So, we've got a couple of commercial issues to resolve with them before we can have a firm date. Um, I have to say, though, we are very disappointed, as we are with similar to the communities of Toronto, that uh, we have uh, a later than, than, uh, later than planned opening. It'll be during 2022, though. But you're not giving a firm time other than just some time during 2022. It's extremely important, Alan, that when we come out with a date now, 
um, that the date is the date. And so um, it's, it's, it's linked very heavily to our commercial discussions with, uh, with Crosslinks, and uh, we will declare the date. I think what's important, Alan, we, the moment we saw that they were not going to achieve their production rate, even though the production rate is much higher than what it was in 20, 2015, 16, and 17, we immediately wanted to be out in the public and declare that we're busy looking at this and fixing it. You reached a settlement uh, in September 2018 that was supposed to keep the LRT on schedule. Uh, the, under that deal, Metrolinx paid CTS $237 million. W- was that deal a good idea? Was it premature? It was, an absolutely the right, it was absolutely the right thing to do, Alan, and I'll tell you why. Up to that stage, the production rates um, on this project was very poor, and there was lots of uh, commercial wrangling going on um, between uh, Crosslinks and, uh, and, and the province. And we stepped in and cleaned the slate. But most importantly, we secured waivers against the causes of claim. And what that basically means is CD Crosslinks cannot claim those causes again in the future. It's a very pragmatic step as long as you get waivers to somewhere mid-contract, clean the slate of commercial issues and provide an opportunity for production to head on. And you know what? The clear evidence is the production rate improved significantly during 2018. Now, I review every month personally with CDS's CEOs, where, with Crosslinks as CEOs, where their production is. And during last year, their production increased dramatically from the years before, but it still only hit 84% of what the production rate should have been or the schedule index should have been. And so we called it in September and started to work with them to, to figure out what they actually can achieve in the, in the remaining two years of the schedule. But it's clear that the situation was not resolved because here we are again pushing the completion forward in time, now to an unknown time, essentially. Alan, you're right. In that sense, you're right. It didn't solve everything. But here's the thing, Alan. The construction cost on this project is $5.3 billion. I've got four really good companies that are um, in this Crosslinks consortium. But I'm paying them, we are paying them to get the production right. We're not production people, scheduled production people. So they have to get the production right. And what's really important here is... The project is within budget. Even the settlement we made in in 2018 was part of the contingency that we envisage will be necessary to pay for emerging risks that are for our our account. And so we can go only so far um, to try and settle positions and settle risks, and then they have to come up with a production and get the production rate right. Not hitting the schedule now is going to cost them money. Most of all, the thing that I'm most worried about, it's going to affect customers and riders within the city of Toronto. Um, And that's the biggest disappointment for me. However, the project is still to budget. We're now into a tough commercial discussion, and we're going to push really hard to get this opened up as soon as possible. 
I think there will be some that will hear what you just said and say, well, wait a minute, this was originally supposed to open, I believe, in 2020, and we keep pushing things down the line, and that there are these expressions of regret, but at the end of the day, we just can't seem to get transit built in this province and wonder why that is. Yeah. Now, I can understand, Alan, I can understand people ask that, feel it or read it or sense it like you've just explained it. So, for right or for wrong, I've got a very practical view about this. These projects are massively complicated. I'm not sure where the 2020 date comes in, but two years ago when, two, two years ago when I joined Metrolinx, the September 2021 date was the date we're aiming for. We have made an immense amount of progress on this project. One of the reasons why seat Crosslinks' delivery will be late is as we dug underneath um, the TTC box at Eglinton and Young, we found a defect, a safe defect, not a risk to anyone, but a defect under the box which dates from the 1950s. These are things that come out of the woodwork which no one knew about, and that will have a a significant impact on our rate of progress of esca- Crosslinks' rate of progress with excavation at um, Eglinton and Young. So I wouldn't go so far as to say we can't get things done on time. I think these projects, many of these mega transit projects, run on timescales which just gets affected by these unforeseen risks. Um, and, and that doesn't make light of the fact that the communities that are affected at Eglinton, um, struggle with uh, road traffic and the like. There's no way I can make that feel better, except to say I don't think the impact is going to be as severe for um, once we are through the next couple of uh, next couple of year, year, year and a half of work. But I think this is a this is a, this is a step forward for us to negotiate a, a stronger, better delivery uh, from Crosslinks. Speaking with Phil Verster, who is the head of Metrolinx, and I just want to ask you a quick question about the deal that was announced from Bombardier to sell its train unit to Francis Alstom and what that means for Metrolinx. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good question. Um, you know, Alan, when I joined Metrolinx in 20, late 2017, one of the first things I did was to negotiate with Bombardier to get the vehicle delivery fixed. Vehicle delivery by Bombardier to Metrolinx at that stage was more than two years late. I can tell you, last week I gave an update to my board. Vehicle delivery is now on time, bar about 10 days of uh, approvals delay that we have. So from two years late to 10 days late. And so Bombardier, you know, it's with any... This is true for any of your subcontractors or any of your contractors. They are... You have, to, you have to be clear, you have to be commercially fair, and you have to give them room to succeed. Now, Bombardier has succeeded. They've recovered in the last two, two years their production schedule. And the interesting analogy with Eglinton, where these vehicles are going to run, CTS or Crosslinks have not really used the opportunity to get their production right, while Bombardier has. Considering the mess in Ottawa with the LRT built by Alstom, do you have concerns of going forward now that they will take over production for you know the for Metrolinx? I, Alan, honestly, I do. Um, 
I do. I'm working closely with with uh, the CEO in Alstom to make sure that lessons learned are well learned and that technology issues are fixed long before the Alstom products come into um, into operation on our network. You know, yeah, I've I've worked myself on the on the vehicle side. I ran a part of Bombardier many years ago in the UK with with vehicles. You have to be on top of it because it's technology-intensive devices which can really underperform if you're not careful. Well, we'll leave it there. The head of Metrolinks, Phil Verser. Always great to have you on the program. Thank you so much for joining me. Alan, thank you very much for having me. All right, it is time for our update on COVID-19. COVID-19 here. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I I thank you. I got it now. <laughs> COVID-19. Ontario has no new coronavirus cases under investigation. That from a daily update from the provincial government that shows that 421 people have now been tested over the past number of weeks here in this province. Nearly all have tested negative for the virus. Three people did test positive, all of whom had recent travel history to the affected areas in China. One of those cases is completely recovered. Tests show she no longer has the virus in her system at all. There are eight confirmed cases in Canada. Five of them are in British Columbia. Let's take you to that cruise ship. Canadians on board the stranded cruise ship are being told to expect a flight to bring them home from Tokyo on Thursday. Passengers will be informed of, quote, the exact departure time approximately 24 hours before the flight, according to an email received by passengers who are still on board that Diamond Princess. As many as 255 Canadians are stuck on the boat. Some 3,500 passengers have been stuck there for 10 days. 355 people have been infected with COVID-19, 15 of them Canadians. The largest number of cases outside China is among passengers and crew on that cruise ship. Keep that in mind. Now, let's get you to the numbers overall. China reporting new case and new death numbers from COVID-19. The Tuesday update from the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention reports 1,886 new virus cases and 98 more deaths. The new numbers raised the total confirmed cases in mainland China to 72,436. The Chinese health officials say more than 80% of the people infected had mild illnesses and cases of new infections seem to be on the decline. The disease named COVID-19 emerged in Wuhan, China in December. I'm Mike Gracia. Another update, another uh, healthcare worker has died in China, Lu Ziming, who mobilized a lot of resources into the hospitals in Wuhan when it first emerged that they had a virus on their hands. It appears that he has cost him his life, Wuhan's Health Bureau announcing today that he had become infected and, dis- and died despite, quote, all-out attempts to save him. He is the seventh healthcare worker to die of COVID-19. 1,700 doctors and nurses have become sick. And China has now forfeited a Davis Cup tie because its men's tennis team cannot travel to Romania next month. The International Tennis Federation citing increased restrictions in response to the current COVID-19 outbreak That's the reason behind that decision.
Well, the House is back. MPPs back to Queens Park after a very long break. And so much to talk about and to chew over, but I want to play this one for you first. Because this one was delicious. This is the Premier, Doug Ford, uh, responding to a softball question this morning. And where he talked about heading south with his good buddy Vic, my good pal Vic, on a buddy-buddy tour south of the border to promote Ontario. Here is Doug Ford in the legislature. Myself and the champion right beside me, Minister of Economic Development, went down to the U.S. and we went down to Washington, spoke to the 50 governors, which were inviting for the first time in Toronto, the NGA, April 21st to April 23rd. Then we went down to Texas, Mr. Speaker, and we spoke to the Texas Chamber of Commerce. A gentleman we didn't even know stood up and said, the Ontario miracle. It's a miracle how the previous government was down here and lost 300,000 jobs, and you are leading North America job creation at 307,000 new jobs. They were asking how we did it. How did we get the miracle? The miracle. Can we get a miracle up in here? The Ontario miracle. 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 Thank you. Travis Namraj is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief. <laughs> joins me on the line. Oh my goodness, Travis, my favorite show is back on every morning at 10.30 a.m. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know if you also heard the soundbite there when Jennifer French from the NDP was talking to uh, Lisa Thompson, Consumer Services Minister, about the license plates. And she said, I thought Ontario was a place to grow, not a place to glow. Because, of course, the license plates, there are problems with them. Yeah, no kidding. And I know Lisa Thompson, you were just grilling her a couple of minutes ago, but I want to play this one for you. This is actually, I believe, the response to that statement, or it might have been just right before it, where yeah. Lisa Thompson, who's the minister uh, responsible for these new license plates, which uh, reportedly cannot be read uh, under certain lighting conditions, here is her response to that. Some Ontarians are reporting concerns with regards to readability to the naked eye under some light conditions. And that said, we take this input very seriously and we're working with our manufacturers to get down to the bottom of it. But, Speaker, I have to share with you, sticking with the status quo liberal plate that was peeling and flaking was not an option. How's about the irony of like, oh, the, the liberals had a thing that was peeling off. <laughs> you can't see this one. But listen, there are legitimate, I mean, this was one of like 900 different things that came up today. But it's certainly, you know, getting a lot of attention because it's, it's serious, right? I mean, if there's, you know, he, she was asked about whether or not uh, police would be able to see it if there was a drunk driver that they needed to stop whether or not, you know, if there was an Amber Alert, people would be able to see a plate properly. And she kind of just brushed off those questions. These are legitimate questions that a lot of people have because certainly, you know, the lighting conditions, under some lighting conditions, you can't see the plate. And she doesn't seem to be concerned with that. And she was also asked the question as to whether or not they would stop handing out plates temporarily even. She didn't answer that either. No, she said this has all been tested. Was she asked about the test results? They've they've asked about, you know, they've asked police departments, et cetera, et cetera. You can, uh, maybe you can see it under, uh, you know, special equipment. But, I mean, you know, if you can't see it with the naked eye in night, 
uh, then there seems to be a problem. She was even asked, okay, well, if you tested them, did you test them at night? And she said yes. So it, it Will she result, re- release the results of those tests? Well, I, 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 I would probably say no. I don't recall there being a groundswell and an outcry about the liberal status quo plates. I mean, listen, this goes back to months ago when this whole plate story became, a, you know, a story. And why this was a government priority, and that was John Fraser's point today in, in Scrums just now, uh, the Liberal leader, uh, interim Liberal leader, I should say. There's another one on the way. But he said, why, why is this a priority? Why are we even discussing new plates? There, we should have kept the old plates. Uh, and then, of course, during the budget, they handed out all these different plates with the media uh, stations on them so, for us to see them. So, I mean, that was one of many, as I said, issues that came up today. There's also a big protest on the front lawn right now. Parents of children with autism uh, saying that the government's dragging their feet implementing the program. Does this all feel like a... The Ontario miracle. Does it feel like a miracle to you? Miracle. <laughs> feels like uh, we uh, we are back back again uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens in the next couple of days but listen they got a lot to get through transportation I know top of their agenda here and also education file as well Andrew Horvath called for Stephen Lache to be replaced today I said well what could would that do if he if you know the next minister comes in with the same mandate she said she wants the mandate to change as well it's uh queen's park is back they're back at it and, and renewed tone i don't know about a renewed tone i i i and i played this off the top of the show when uh, andrea horvath again pressed uh, the premier to fire the minister which is ludicrous really but it, when well, he again pressed yeah. th- th- then he said he said that uh lecce was laser focused laser focused march i am focused on this like a laser nobody and I mean nobody in the real world says I'm laser-focused on anything. Let's say does. It's like he, a laser. Is he focused like a laser, do you think? It's focused like a laser. Just don't focus those lasers on the plate, <laughs> because that would make them even harder to read. <laughs> Travis Danraj, nicely done, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, Travis right, is our Queens Park Bureau Chief for Global News. All right. I want to take you back to Ottawa with the ongoing crisis with rail blockades right across the country. And here is the national chief of the Assembly of First Nations calling for calm and constructive dialogue to ease tensions over the pipeline project and the nationwide protest that it has sparked. Here is National Chief Perry Bellegarde. We need the legislative and the executive branches of government to keep up with what the judicial branch is saying. And that means comprehensive policy and legislative changes. That's what's got to happen. And that's got to be done collaboratively, if you will, or in partnership with Indigenous peoples. That's that's what's got to go on. So what has happened here is we've gone from a concern about a pipeline, and now we are dealing with all kinds of issues that are not easily solvable. Not particularly solvable at all in the short term. Justin Trudeau stood up in the House today with a special statement, and I want to play for you the summation of his everyone together, let's hug it all out. And we need to continue to walk this road together. To everyone, I say we are extending our hands in good faith for dialogue. The opportunity is there on the table right now. We are in this together. The worker, the senior, the indigenous leader, the protester, and the police officer. The candlestick maker. Let us have the courage to take this opportunity and take action together. 
and so to build a better path for all Canadians. Merci. Do you feel better now? Do you feel? Is there a kumbaya plan? What? I tell you, I listened to the whole thing. I didn't hear a, a single word about what is actually going to be done. I heard an offer to f- talk. Hey, we'll talk anytime you like. Can you please take down your protests, please? And meanwhile, as I, as I point out, we have gone from a concern over a pipeline to now this has mushroomed into you got a problem, block a rail line. And the response of the government and how the government responds is going to determine what happens next. And I understand the problem that the government has. I got this email after I was last talking about this early this hour, I, and I like this one. This, this one came in, and it's uh, from Paul, who says, with all due respect, that your statement that much of the blockade situation is due mostly to the prime minister is quite irresponsible. The situation is much more complex than your simple statements, and those of many of the media pundits, it requires all-party response and cooperation. I, I don't disagree with that. This is not entirely of the Prime Minister's making. But the Prime Minister has played a role in all of this. He's played a role in it by running a government that is often more concerned with virtue signaling than actually dealing with thorny issues like rule of law. And I want to play this for you. This is the response from Andrew Scheer, and I'll make this point that uh, once you are no longer leader... Once you're no longer actually in the thing, everybody loves you. There's nobody that there's no politician more beloved than an interim leader, like John Fraser of the Ontario Liberal Party. Everybody loves him. Remember when Rhonda Ambrose was the interim party leader? Everybody loved her because when you're interim, you're not a threat to anybody. But this, I think, this is a nice response here from Andy Shear to this what he called word salad of Justin Trudeau this morning. That was the weakest response to a national crisis in Canadian You know what I think we need? We need more lasers. We need more Art, lasers. I am focused on this like a laser. We need the Prime Minister to be more laser focused. Like a laser. Like a laser. That'll be the miracle that we need.